Hello and welcome to the Jesuit Border Podcast. This podcast explores the humanitarian response along the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective. My name is Louis Hotop. And I'm Brian Strasberger. We're a pair of Jesuit priests mission to the Diocese of Brownsville, Texas. We are not from the border, but we live here now. This podcast highlights some of the work that the Catholic Church and others are doing to address the needs along the border. This season, we are focused on organizations that put the corporal works of mercy into practice. The Jesuit Border Podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Let's begin. Vamos! Our topic this week is Feeding the Hungry. We will be interviewing Vero Dimas, who is the executive director of the Brownsville Wellness Coalition, a nonprofit that supports health and wellness programs in Brownsville, Texas, which is in one of the poorest counties in the U.S. She's also a community member for Big Green, a food-growing nonprofit coordinated by Kimball Musk, who happens to be the brother of Elon Musk. So stay tuned for that. But first, let's talk a little bit about our good friend Gonzalo, the car guard that we know in Reynosa, Mexico. Gonzalo has given me pretty clear instructions on how to parallel park in Mexico. And you need those instructions. And I need those every time. I mean, I just, (laughs) but yeah, no, we, when we drive into the camp to work in the camp and in Reynosa, there's, there's very limited parking around the camp and Gonzalo always saves us a spot. He puts a cone right where we park every time and he is there waiting for us to, to park. Yeah. It's a great relationship that we built up over the few months we've been there because I mean, at first we were just parking our car where it's not even permitted to park and just popping open a trunk and handing out donations. But once we started investing more and spending more time over there, uh, we just kind of realized the dynamic that there are people wearing vests out uh, around the parking area and they watch the cars. You know, you give them a little bit of a tip at the end when you're leaving. Uh, And very early on, we met Gonzalo and he uh, was just super friendly and engaging with us and started saving that space, which was great. So now, I mean... It's like clockwork. We pull into the plaza, we come around the corner, we see the cone in like the prime spot location. And now every once in a while he's around like some somewhere around the corner helping someone else get parked or otherwise. So we have to we might wait there for a second as we're scanning the horizon. And then without fail, Gonzalo with his uh, you know, cowboy hat on and his yellow vest comes running towards us, waving and moves the cone and helps us get parked. And Gonzalo, you know, he's got he's got a great personality, very friendly, very welcoming, and has been really good to us, not just with the parking uh, situation, but also he helps us carry things into the camp sometimes, and he's got a good relationship with the people in the camp. He's He himself is not a migrant. He's from the area. He's from Reynosa, and his family is in, in, in the city as well. So he's he's very much a local, and yet you can tell he has quite a lot of compassion for the people in the camp and, and why they're there. Yeah, and he was quick to befriend us as well and, and told us about... Uh, you know, that his mom would love to know that he's helping the priests. And, and early on, he, he took a photograph with us that he said he wanted to share with his mom. And, and that built up until one day he said, you know, I'd, I'd, really love to, I'd really love to have you over at my mom's house for lunch someday. He wanted us to have a, a meal with them. And, you know, we said, of course, like, let's, let's make this happen. We'd love to meet your family and go over to your house for lunch one day. So we went over and we discussed on the way there, you know, like this could be this could be it for us. You know, that's right. <laughs> Do we need to like notify our next of kin? Like if we don't turn up, 
just know this was the last place. This we went. is like the story that you read about. Like, well, the Jesuits were betrayed by the parking guard. Right? <laughs> 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 but it wasn't that way at all. We we showed up to his house, and it was it's this great little house right on the corner in a in a neighborhood in Reynosa, and it's uh, we walked in, and his mom and his sister were there. And uh, he was there, and his brothers ended up showing up throughout the meal as well. And uh, it was just a great, you know, great family moment. You know, in the middle of the day on a Thursday, you know, and we're sitting there, and we we had this great meal with them. That's right. They set out a bunch of food for us. Uh, It was like bottomless plates. It felt like we could eat all day. But just a wonderful moment to share with this family. His mother uh, has many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and already now has five great great grandchildren oh my living. Gosh. I mean, yeah. can, it was unbelievable. Yeah, and and she was she was very proud of her her children and and what they were doing and of Gonzalo and his you know friendship with us and and I you know there's something about being able to gather around a table with you know someone that you just met, especially now you know in the time of pandemic like. To be in someone's house, you know, to be sitting with their family, to enjoy this meal. And uh, even, you know, when the language isn't always that, for me, you know, always that easy to comprehend or follow along with, like, you just know that you're welcomed. You know that you're you're loved and, and cared for. And, the, you know, very much a part of the culture here is to show that through food, you know, that food is a sign of love and care. Yeah, and we've seen that not only from Gonzalo and this experience where we went over uh, for lunch with his family that day, but we started seeing it uh, every time we go into Reynosa. Uh, it in about starting back in October, one of the four cocinas or kitchens in the plaza started insisting on providing us with food on our daily or twice a week visits to come into Reynosa. So Cocina Carpa Maria, staffed by Claudia in particular, she started to become very insistent. You know, if you're going to come here and you're going to be here, we want to we want to give you something to eat. And it was often like a huge plate, you know, <laughs> much more, much more than, you know, any one man should be eating. <laughs> but uh, we, yeah, it's it's never been the same food. That's the other thing. Yeah. She cooks for it's, you know, baleadas, papusas, it's, you know, nachos. It's all different kinds of things that they're making uh, from, you know, different different regions of Central America and Mexico, just depending on the resources that they have. And she's sharing them with it, and it's always so delicious. It, you know, it, is, it beats McDonald's, it, I will say It certainly that. <laughs> beats McDonald's, that's right, uh, and any chain restaurant. But it is remarkable. I mean, since October, going Tuesdays and Thursdays and having lunch with them there, we haven't eaten the same meal twice. I mean, it's just remarkable. And we're not the only people being fed, just to be clear, by the, the cocinas uh, around the plaza. Those are the staging points for meals that happen in general for anyone who's staying there, for all the migrants who are there. And so while they put together a plate of food for us and we're you know sitting there and enjoying the meal, they're also, it's just a, a bustling place of activity where people are chopping all kinds of vegetables, people are working, cooking over an open fire and putting together rice and beans and and other vegetables and putting meals together that are feeding, you know, the two to 3,000 people who are living living in the plaza at this time. And so those cocinas are the places that receive donations of 
uh, of uncooked food that they can then prepare. And then also sometimes there are groups, a bunch of evangelical churches that come by and, and will set those set up and start distributing warm food uh, out, of, out of a van or something like that. So there are a lot of efforts being put into feeding the two to 3,000 people who are living there. And it's a huge coordinated effort. You know, it's, it's, they need the teams, they need all the people who are chopping and cooking and, you know, just organizing everything. And then they've got to send out this like mass text to everybody through WhatsApp, you know, and then it spreads like wildfire, like, okay, in Cocina Maria, we've got, we've got food ready to go and bring your plates, like, come on, you know, and then bring there's your a plates. huge line that forms all the way down the block and people line up to to get the food that's available. So it's it's definitely, you know, not just, uh, you know, not as simple as like when we cook for our community of three, it's like, okay, I'm going to start cooking about 45 minutes before and just hope to get it on the table and hope that it's not raw, you know. <laughs> but this is like <laughs> trying to get all of these things ready for over a 1,000 people, 2,000 people. It's just, it's a crazy thing that has to happen every day. Yeah, and a lot of migrants chip in and participate. I mean, uh, most of them have rotations of teams. So it's like, okay, this team is on today, and it'll be a team of five to seven migrant women who are helping out and working in the kitchen that morning for that morning shift or for that afternoon shift. They usually have usually have two hot meals a day. Sometimes it gets supplemented with uh, milk and cereal or something like that. And it depends on the donations that come in. We, we haven't been involved in the donating of food, but there's a lot of uh, organizations and churches in particular who have been doing that. But it is in very large quantities. And one thing that we have provided for each of the kitchens are some large polar coolers. We've given each of the kitchens two of them, and, you know, I, I think of those as, you know, a place to store, you know, your beer and soda for a barbecue or a trip to the beach or something like that. But these become storage containers for a tremendous amount, gallons and gallons worth of rice or beans or something that's come off the fire. And these coolers, they can keep things cool, but they're also great at keeping things warm. And this whole thing, you know, just being invested in this and trying to help as we can and also just seeing it behind the scenes has pointed out, you know, in this kind of precarious situation when you have people with such limited resources, uh, food is such a precious element, you know, such a precious asset. And you don't want to waste it. You want to use it to the best of your ability. And it's it's pointed out, you know, in this kind of environment, just the the necessity for good food and healthy food to sustain people and also just a way of, you know, a knowledge of how to produce it and get it out there. So I, you know, just the person we thought of on this side of the border who's doing so much of that is Vero Dimas. You know, she's she's doing so much with trying to get good food out into the community and trying to sustain people and also teach people, you know, you can make the same things that you've always made. You know, you don't want to get rid of, you know, we, we don't all need to be eating quinoa every day. <laughs> <laughs> but you can make the same things just with a little healthier bend and, and maybe a more sustainable uh, model of getting food out there. So, so for sure, like the work that she's been able to do through Brownsville Wellness Coalition has been, has been kind of targeting that theme that we're looking at today, which is feeding the hungry, that corporate work of mercy of feeding the hungry. 
That's right. Scarcity of food and access to good, healthy food can happen in a camp in northern Mexico. It can also happen on this side of the border in any of our local communities. And we talked a lot about the migrant situation on this podcast. We're excited to talk even more about the local reality on this side of the border in Brownsville, Texas, located in one of the poorest counties in the U.S. And we've got a great guest today. You're going to really enjoy this interview. So stay tuned for our interview with Vero Dimas. We are excited to welcome Vero Dimas to our podcast. Uh, Vero is the executive director of Brownsville Wellness Coalition, a nonprofit that supports health and wellness programs such as community gardens, urban farms, and the Brownsville Farmers Market. And you also do a lot to promote just healthy living in general here in the area. Absolutely. Thank you for for having me, this is great. And yes, um, I do work for the Brownsville Wellness Coalition, but I'm also a native of Brownsville. So uh, for me, that's important to uh, spread that word of health and wellness throughout the city. The project that you are the executive director of is the Brownsville Wellness Coalition. What, what's kind of the origin story of the Brownsville Wellness Coalition of how it got started and how you uh, got interested in this? Yeah, so um, the organization started back in 2008 as a health initiative with the city of Brownsville and uh, UT School of Public Health. UT School of Public Health was um, hosting a study um, to learn about the different um, disparities of health chronic diseases in our area that were increasing um, back in 2008. We had promotoras, still have promotoras go out to through throughout the neighborhoods and ask questions, the uncomfortable questions, uh, the numbers that we don't like to talk about, right? Like uh, about high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes numbers, and things like that. So at that time, we find out, the studies showed that there was a little access to healthy food. There was... um, there used to be one supermarket downtown, and no, it's no longer there. So we went from a food desert to even being worse, right, to not having any access to healthy produce. Dr. Gowan and Dr. Belinda Reiniger and the, the folks over at UT School of Public Health, they spearheaded the project and, and decided to open a farmer's market back then. So um, my youngest was a year old, and I came to my first far- farmer's market, and I fell in love. I fell in love with the vendors. I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with the the purpose and the mission of the project. And I quickly learned that none of my tias, nor my tios, nor my family that needed this service in their life were were accessing this farmer's market. And so we kind of changed our perspective by adding uh, SNAP dollars and WIC vouchers and making it a place where it was an all-inclusive farmer's market and making sure that they had access not only to food, but also resources, inviting other nonprofits to share their their um, 
their information and adding healthy exercises to to free healthy exercises such easy like as walking yoga basic zumba fun stuff for the kids too so um and that's how i became got involved in 2014 and it's been eight years now and it's my pride and joy it is um very rewarding to understand that we are serving our community and not only in the food aspect but also mental health um, it's a great way to come out to the farmers market have conversations have a social have a social environment that you can feel safe and provide that that space for for everyone in Brownsville yeah, our theme for this episode is feeding the hungry, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, we you know we think of as such a simple thing. But even just the way you're describing all the effort that goes into trying to provide healthy food, trying to get rid of some of these stigmas that are preventing people from from seeking it out, and, and trying also to instill a culture of health and wellness. And so I'm wondering, you know, just in your own reflection. Uh, what has it been like to kind of open people up to to a new way of looking at, you know, food or or making food available or, or even just this community aspect of, of bringing people together? Like for you personally, what has it been like to kind of be that that window into this this new way of looking at things? Yeah, it's interesting because it's a. Um you know, you're trying to teach, uh, what do they say, uh, a dog, an old dog, new tricks. And so I, I hosted a class called La Cocina Alegre, which is one of our, our, our programs, right? And we, these uh, six-week course is, pr- you teach people how to make meals on a budget, but healthier meals, right? So here I am trying to teach a group of ladies how to make Mexican rice. And they are looking at me like, are you kidding me, Vero? <laughs> like you are standing there and you are telling me, I am 65 years old, and you're telling me how to make Mexican rice? How old are you, first of all? <laughs> Second of all, I've been cooking rice since the age of 13. Like you're not going to tell me how to do this. So I had, I ha- you know, it had to be some somewhat of a shift for them. But I said, I understand that. But these are the options. These are the different options that we can first. First of all, if you don't add consomate, which is full of sodium, into mm-hmm. your Mexican rice, maybe we shift to this and kind of use these other herbs. And then when I kind of introduce, we would introduce these things, they're like, oh my God, that's how my mom used to make it. Like, mm. that's the way it is. But then things change in, in, in the cooking perspective, kind of, and makes things easier unhealthier sometimes right and most of the time but um just kind of going back to basics so it was really relating and it was not only eye-opening for them but also for me because I clearly remember my grandmother making beans and getting lard from a bucket next to the stove and kind of just splatting on a pan. And I would remember seeing the dancing lard mm-hmm. until it was ready for just the rest of the beans to go c- cooked in there. So it was, it, it, it was a challenge. As you say, it's not easy. But at the same time, um, it's, it's interesting also to see how the younger generations are teaching our older generations. Um, I had a family, um, they had a challenge of not to drink Coca-Cola. And so the daughter was the 
the one that she was the 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 hand of force there and making sure that they were were sticking to their challenge, right? And so ended everybody ended up losing weight. Everyone ended up being healthier and having more energy. And um, when they went back to a class, they said, yeah, it was because of this class that we learned that Coca-Cola shouldn't be part of our lives. We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the, the border and especially migration and that sort of thing. But I think it's uh, another thing we're trying to reveal is just the border reality, how complex it is. And Brownsville is part of that. The Rio Grande Valley is part of that. And I think it's a part of the country that I didn't know a lot about before moving down here and just learning about it. I mean, meeting wonderful people, uh, seeing how warm the reception has been of us as we move down here. But it's also a place with facing a lot of challenges and, I mean, very high rates of obesity, of diabetes, you know, downtown, you talk about the origin of the Brownsville Wellness Coalition being built out of kind of this food desert that existed in downtown Brownsville. Uh, you know, one thing that's very prevalent is chain restaurants. You know, you drive along the highway and if there's a chain restaurant in the United States of America, you can find it along the highway. So yeah, sure. just learning a little bit about uh, about the reality of health and even, even poverty in general. I mean, I mean there's a high, high levels of poverty. The median income here is $38,000 a year, something along those lines. So mm-hmm. one of the poorest counties in the United States of America, right here on the border. So often when we think about border issues, we think about migration, that sort of thing. But it's also important to realize the border reality for those who live in the Rio Grande Valley here and in Brownsville and, and otherwise. So it seems like that's a big part of the impetus and uh, need for the pro- a project like the Brownsville Wellness Coalition. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing leads to another, right? It's a poverty level, and then that leads to not having access to healthy food because you kind you have to budget at, for a certain amount of money, and you have a number of, of of people living in your household. So it all it it correlates. It correlates one with the other, right? And then the other thing under underinsured. If you don't have insurance, and if you do not have insurance to access have health uh, access to healthy doctors or to a dentist or to uh, to someone to check your blood pressure or your diabetes if you don't wh- you don't know what's happening in your body you're not knowing so if you don't have insurance there's no way you know you are diabetic or even borderline diabetic or any of these things or your high blood pressure because you're not seeing a, a doctor regularly it is it's it blew my mind when i started learning those numbers and it, that it was happening here yeah, it is a very sad situation. I think we are moving the needle somehow by by collaborating with the right folks that are bringing those resources. Um, I want to go back a little bit to the part of where you're saying about the the life on the border. When you hear about life on the border and on the news or any other shows or anything, you always think there's a cartel at every corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to come get you. They're going to kill you. And I hear this a lot. And I, I, and when people come here, they're like, man, that's really not happening. It's a misconception. So for me, it's important to tell that story, that this, is, this place is an inviting place. This is where the, you know, the Gulf Coast meets the Rio Grande River. It's a, pl- a great place to raise a family. Uh, we're not rich in dollars, but we're rich in family. We're rich in everything else. And you go back and you think about those things. Again, how I said in my first story, when you think you are, you, you, you think you have everything, 
and you do. You really do. So um, I'm excited to kind of just share with families that don't know these resources that they can come, they can have happen in their families by enriching their children, the knowledge that they receive. Um, but I think we're moving the needle on that. And I think, you know, so much of, of what you're pointing to, especially with the culture here in the Valley and, and just the, the people here is, is, is so much of the work of something like the Brownsville Wellness Coalition depends on that face-to-face contact. You know, like so much of it is like putting yourself in someone's, you know, front yard and being like, hey, do you need, you know, X, Y, or Z? Or would you like to come to the farmer's market or to the community garden, something like that? So that's, I think it's missed sometimes. Like in a bigger city, you kind of think like, okay, you put some news out there and people come or they don't, and you might get a crowd. But here it's really got to be like door to door for uh, getting into neighborhoods, getting the word out there. Getting kind of spreading it through families. That's very much how, how things operate here. And so I'm wondering, you know, just just from your own experience of working with Brownsville Wellness Coalition and, and just from living here, you know, do you have, uh, does someone come to mind as far as like someone that you've, you've had sort of face-to-face contact with? Uh, and just what what's something as simple as like a community garden or 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 the farmers market like how that has has helped them or changed them? Yeah, so I've seen the growth tremendously at the farmers market. There's Mrs. Gracia Amalia Gracia is one of our farmers. Her and her husband um, were they are farm outside of um, San Pedro, and they have a small property and Mr. Gracia passed away a couple years ago and she had a really hard time just moving forward. Um, Their kids are grown. Their kids are gone and and to college and and live somewhere else. So it's only been, it was only them two for a long time. After her husband passed away, I really thought that she was not going to continue farming and she did. And now she does this on her own and is a warrior at it, and don't, I hope Mr. Gracia doesn't hear me, but I think he, she does a better job at it, <laughs> <laughs> um, but she is great, <laughs> and she is a quiet lady that never fusses, she just comes, she does not drive, so she became really good friends with her neighbor, and incentivized her neighbor to use her truck to bring her to the farmer's market every Saturday. So, because her husband was the driver. And so now they are business partners. One of them takes care of the animals and she continues to farm. So you'll see a beautiful spread of of colors throughout her table. And then she'll teach you how to jar things and pickle and, you know, preserve these beautiful produce. And that has just touched my heart in many ways. Um, she's just the most caring, loving lady, and and so proud of her. So so proud of her, Amalia Gracia, and um, she is also a person that provides that safe space for you to share. And again, I always say, if it weren't for farmers, you and I wouldn't be here talking. 
We're a pair of Catholic priests, so we like to ask questions about faith on this podcast, too. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could comment a little bit. I mean, you know, the theme of this episode is Feeding the Hungry, this this gospel call, really, in the corporal works of mercy of how do we care for those in need, and one of those ways is feeding those who are hungry. Uh, so just wondering about your own, if you could share a little bit about your own faith experience and how that motivates you in the work that you do. Oh, my God. Jesus and I talk every day. <laughs> we are Catholic, and when Jesus and I have, you know, we have our talk, and sometimes we have our talk talks, you know, that we. <laughs> it's like, why are we getting a freeze, Jesus? Why? But, but um, the, you know, the cucumbers are not going to make it, and this guy's just going to have problems. But um, yes, I am a faithful Catholic woman. Um, was born, born and raised that way. And so shall be it. And I am do, doing my best to do the, the same thing for my children. Um, faith for me is very important. I think it's the pillar of everything, whether it's Catholic or whether it's something else. It's believing in some, some higher um, powers that can get you through rough times, can get... And, to be grateful for good times too. And for me, it's important to understand that we grow every way. We're still, I'm still growing in my faith. I, I'm hoping my children are growing my faith. My parents have instilled that in me, have showed me that. And um, they not only talk, but they also do the walk. And I, Feel I'm. I have that responsibility to to continue w- doing that. Um, it's really important to me in every aspect. Uh, like all of us Catholics, we all have our challenges. Um, not perfect, and I try, but I don't think that was a question, right? No, no, that's right. <laughs> this We're is not sinners. confession. No, this is not confession. <laughs> but I am, um, it is important to me to to get me going in these rough times during, whether it's my personal life or it's work. Um, I, I, that is, is instilled in me and um, I breathe and live it too. And, you know, that's so much of our own work, you know, like, I've, I, I'm the Catholic priest, you know, I was ordained, like, I have a pretty strong faith, and then when I meet people here in the Valley, and when I work with migrants across the border, it's like, oh my gosh, like, do I know anything? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta step it up a little bit. I gotta step it up a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I just, there are so many strong, very faithful, very committed people here who, who, trust in the providence of God and, and trust in the presence of Jesus in their lives. And it is, it's just, you know, they speak in ways that like, sometimes I'm like embarrassed, like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like, do I, you know, do, do I have faith like that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I think it's just, it's such a beautiful place to live and, and to grow up. I'm sure, you know, just with the amount of, of, of very faithful people, especially the older people in the valley, I find them to be the most consoling. You yes, know? it all goes back to that root we talked about in the beginning, right? It came from my grandparents. My grandmother, I get with eleven children, w- didn't drive a day in her life, but would get up every Sunday morning, dress all of those kids 
without my grandfather because he was busy making that breakfast. And so um, he, she would get up, take all those kids to church at 11. And, I, and then I, I stop and I complain, right? Sometimes when the, one of them is moving slow and I'm like, I just remember my grandmother. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a breath here and we're going to make it to church. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's such an essential part of of anything that we do. We have to think of these examples of of people who, you know, we just stand and we're like, how are you doing this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, just feel that awe of like, you know, if this person can do this, I can do an ounce of that, you know, exactly. like, especially like grandparents. And, and I think that's so, that's so good. And, you know, one, one thing that we were just thinking about, um, you know, big changes are coming here to to Brownsville with the presence of another awe-inspiring thing, space travel. Right. Uh, and the the Musk uh, SpaceX operations that are coming down here and helping to revitalize the city. And, and we know that you've also been working with Elon Musk's brother, Kimball Musk. Correct. So we really just were wondering if you have like his phone number and business you know, card, getting in <laughs> contact with him. Email yeah. address would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. He's a pretty cool guy. Actually, they're both really, really cool. And I, I guess I'll, I'll start with um, the this SpaceX kind of thing first. Uh, um, my perspective of SpaceX, and I feel the the SpaceX for me, it's like a science project in our backyard. And, you know, they have this great Netflix show that kind of shows everything and what they're moving forward. It's it's great. So with that, I, as 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 you know, I just like to have conversations with people. So I've had conversations with several folks out there and um, they said, Fedo, you should really, um, you know, uh, Elon's brother has uh, an organization it's called Big Green. So then um, I said, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll look into it. Um, so we received a, um, a donation from the Musk Foundation to expand our Fresco mobile markets. Now we'll, instead of having one mobile market, we'll have two. And these mobile markets will be going out throughout the city um, where people don't have the opportunity to come to the farmer's market that will expand and enhance those projects, several projects with that Musk Foundation. And we are going to be providing garden beds to families, 120 families here in the city. And he's providing the garden beds, the soil, the transplants, the seeds. Where Brownsville Wellness Coalition is going to be the organization that's going to be the connector for these families and be providing all of those beds. It's very exciting to hear about your partnerships with Big Green. And what I was also hearing was that you were going to connect us with the Musk family. Yes, that I, 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 yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> I said. And we're going to be the yeah. first Jesuit priest going that's to right. outer space. Yep. From Boca Chica to, to Mars. Yeah, Boca Chica to Mars. There you go. Yeah, downtown to Mars. <laughs> but no, Vero, we want to thank you for this interview. It's been great talking to you. We appreciate having you on. It was, a, it was an obvious fit for us when we were thinking about who could we talk to about this Corporal Work of Mercy of Feeding the Hungry. The work you do at the Brownsville Wellness Coalition is really tremendous, uh, helping get healthy food to a lot of people and growing that attentiveness to healthy food and growing the food itself. So we want to thank you for joining us. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite and I look forward and uh, yeah, well, let's go to Mars. Let's go. <laughs> Well, that's our episode for this week. We're grateful to Vero Dimas for joining us. 
This podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to hear more about the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective. We'll see you next week on the Jesuit Order Podcast. Nos vemos.